Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I am so excited to be kicking off our very first interview episode of 2023. And today we have the fabulous Eddie Kaufholtz. And I'm so excited because if you would have asked me two years ago, who would be, you know, a dream guest of yours to have on? Eddie was for sure one of those names. I've been listening to him for years on different podcasts, and I was just like jazzed beyond belief when he agreed to come on. I had such an awesome time talking to him. He is so nice, so cool, so funny, all the things. Absolutely loved this chat. I think you're really going to love this interview. We talk about like casual, unimportant, stupid things like accents and whatever. And then we really get into it. Um, Eddie recently opened up for kind of the first time in his life on his own podcast, just about food struggles from his childhood and and how it's impacted his adult life and just like a lot of stuff, counseling, all the things. And so today we really dive in and we really talk about that and connect on a lot of things where our stories really seem to intersect. Um, I really think that so many of you are going to connect with the things that he says in this episode, okay? So you're absolutely going to love it. Eddie leads the communications team at Bread for the World, and he is the host of the Doing the Best We Can podcast. So all of that stuff is linked in the notes so you can check him out and everything that he does. And stay tuned. Eddie Koffold, welcome to So What Else. Yes, I love it. I, love I can't believe I just said that. This is like a pinch <laughs> me moment for me. It is. I don't want to like fangirl and be weird. And we've no, already been please. talking for like Great 15 minutes. Great for my minutes. ego. Bring it. Okay, good. I've listened to you for so many years that I'm like, <laughs> OMG, I can't believe it. <laughs> like, oh, wow, this is not impressive. He's in person. This is not what I thought. <laughs> I had a different <laughs> I had a different vibe. <laughs> Thanks for letting me be here. This is neat. I like no, this. this. I like your so show. fun. The whole thing. And I like you are uh, you're like uh, navigating real content. And so the question, OK, li- listener, just so you know, like yes. we end up talking beforehand and we mm-hmm. kind of get a sense of what's going to happen. Right. Because yes. I should have pre-thought a little bit about what I'm going to say. And so um, and so I got like a rundown of like, here's where I'm thinking about going in an interview. And I was like really deep and really thoughtful. So like you're really actually putting in helpful data into the world. So yeah, I'm glad I get to be here. That's so nice. It really is. It's kind of funny because I become a full-fledged stalker Mm -hmm. the week before I interview someone. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's all I'm doing. So like, you know, like I did an interview like what, four or five days ago, maybe with Clarissa Mall. It was like the week before, like I read her book. I listened to all the interviews she's ever done, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I actually, and then I'm like stalking her Instagram. I like know everything about her and it's like kind of creepy. But then, so for the last week, I've just been consuming so many of your podcasts and stuff like that. And so it's like, I'm just obsessive in that way. Well, I'm sorry if that's creepy. It's not creepy because it speaks to what you're doing. Like we, like we, the people that listen to this show can hear it. Like you can tell when someone is sitting on just a mountain of knowledge of the person they're talking to, mm-hmm. or if they're just kind of like doing skimmy questions, like you can just tell and you can mm-hmm. tell in you specifically, like when you're interviewing someone that you've been a student of that person that, and that you've actually done the deep dive, like you, and even though the questions may be the same, it's like, you can tell there's like an iceberg underneath the water that, that, that you've actually done the work. And that's 
Why does she ask it? That's why you're good at it. Thank so, you. Uh, but I'm sorry that you had to stalk me for this week. A lot no. of just a lot of jokes on podcasts. That's what you heard, and a lot of sad boy feelings on my. It was a delight. It was an absolute <laughs> delight. That means a lot Thank coming you. from you, seriously, because like you are no stranger to podcasting. Hello, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you what? Yes. The new activist Annie and Eddie keep talking. Your new podcast is doing the best we can. You were on Relevant for a long time. Am I missing yeah. something? I don't think so. I've, my favorite thing is though I've been on when you search in like a Spotify for my name, it's one off. It's like this. This will come up, and this is my favorite thing because it's just these neat little like we get to pop into each other's lives. But no, those are the big. Yeah, I would say those are the big ones. How many episodes? Like how many podcast episodes do you think you've done in your life? Oh. Hundreds. I mean, I've been doing it since 2013. I think 2013 is when I started on Relevant. Relevant was every week. I mean, I can't do the math, but it's thousands Thousands. and thousands of hours. Plus, I will tell you, there is a few podcasts that will never see the light of day. Like, like, I think Annie, did Annie and I ever share it? Well, we recorded a whole show that doesn't, that will never get heard. It just wasn't, uh, it wasn't right. It wasn't, it was, it was just a little too wrong. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You like you go back into that editing process and you're like, that was worth the practice. But I mean, that was, we did a whole summer of hours and hours and hours. And so I That's can't even funny. begin. I don't, I'm certain though, I haven't reached my whatever 10,000 hour mastery. I, I can't feel like I've, I've done that. Right? I, you, you have done a lot, but like, listen, and this is, I will go back and edit this out. If ever I get somebody else from Relevant on here, and I don't want them to feel offended, but you were always my favorite. Thank you. (laughs) My friend, so my cousin's (laughs) husband, Lidge, is the one who turned me on to Relevant. He was like, that's so your speed. Like, you love a round table, kind of everyone's talking over each other and laughing and blah, blah, blah. And so we would text about it. Like, we would listen and we would text about it, and we would always be like, when Eddie's not there, the vibe is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. That was definitely, uh, like, you really... You really had to like talk or eat or be eaten in that room. For real. Right? Because Jesse Carey, you know, doesn't talk He's stop enough. ever. He never Ab- stops. You only no. can interrupt him. And people are like, why are you interrupting each other? You're like, what other? Jesse will never stop. I can't raise my hand. I can't <laughs> say, excuse me. I can't wait for one of them to defer and say, ah, Eddie, what do you think? It's never going to happen. You just have to interrupt. Uh, it is so. so true. It really is so true. Like that is just like the reality of it. Like we once a month. On So What Else, we do something called a sweat episode. And it's like me, yeah. my husband, my sister, and her husband. And we sit around and just do a round table. We talk about like nothing. Okay. And it was so funny because when we first started doing these, we'd be like, okay, guys, like try not to talk over each other. It's like really hard to like yeah. hear, you know, but it's, it's a freaking mess. Like we're all yelling mess. over each other because you have to. Right. You have to. And you're all family. So you're not even trying to be polite. Not at all. Like, right. it's really like, I'll just be to my sister. Like, I'm like, shut up. Let me just finish it. Like, and it's like, we leave it in. Like, we don't care. Yeah. It's whatever. Yeah. You and I are still attempting to be deferential in this moment. Like, <laughs> I'm listening to you speak and then I'm speaking. But like, if we were really, I mean, you know, a couple podcasts from now, it would oh, be just, totally. it would just be a hot mess and the sweet editor would have to m- deal with it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So yes. before we started recording, you mentioned my Jersey accent. I did. Yeah. What do you notice? Because some people have said to me, like, I interviewed one person. I was like, where do you think I'm from? And they're like, yeah. I don't hear any accent. And I was like, really? Yeah. Okay. So I love listening to voices. I love it. I love it. And I've edited a million voices. And so here's my favorite thing of the, about your Jersey accent. So clearly there's like the little like the words. Mm-hmm. But what it really is, the tell of a Jersey accent that's not even like New York, is the speed. So oh. you'll like 
you'll like uh, uh, hold on i'll describe it because i realize it's an audio medium but you like start slow and then you kind of trail off at the end i love it so it's just like so it's like the it's like the pattern of like you engage your brain you go full speed mm-hmm. and then you take the honor off ramp i love i, <laughs> I love it I'm glad you appreciate it because, like, listen, I did a summer in Mississippi doing, like, a mission trip. Oh, no. They did not appreciate it. No. Slow draw. I cannot tell you. Like, people would say to me, like, the kids we were working with were like, why are you yelling at me? And I was like, I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking. Right. This is how right. I talk. That's right. I, what, yeah, what I'm trying to get off at the exit. I'm yelling at someone. It's not anger. This is just it's, my life. This, this is, is who I am. This is this how is- I speak. My dad grew up in Long Island. Forget it. He's a pastor. So when he's preaching, if he's getting really passionate about something, it's like beyond. I mean, (laughs) he he is just like a stereotype of Long Island. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, even I think that sounds bad. Like I'm like, yo, you need to tone it down. And that's me. No, but I like that you don't tone it down because a lot of people in podcasting, they kind of like centralize themselves to the radio voice where they kind of tried to – I, I like that you don't do that. You don't do that. Annie doesn't do that. She stays Southern. I like it when yes. people like, I like to regionalize. I don't need everybody to be, you know, this, this, like, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Like, I don't need the same radio voice at all. I want to know who you are. Totally. Where you are. What's like, going on? Not everybody has to have like a non-accent. Like if you right. have an accent, have it. Right. Yeah, that's right. I think that's fine. Yeah. And so you recently moved though from Florida to DC. Are you? I did. Okay, so do you see what I just did, though? I just said Florida because yeah. I feel self-conscious now because people in Jersey actually say Florida. Yeah, we know. But <laughs> F-L-A-R-I-D-A. But my husband has made fun of me so much for it yeah. that now I say Florida because I'm, like, yeah. embarrassed. But, and, but for the sake uh, of this podcast, I'll say Florida. Yeah, but then you said embarrassed. So yeah. you still – you didn't get the full <laughs> sentence out. You <laughs> so fine. I Safe. can only do so much. It's, like, too stressful. You know what I mean? I can't think that hard in one sentence. Yeah, no. Oh. Yeah, we did. We moved uh, – we did. We moved from Florida to um, – actually, okay, so D.C. people get snobby about it. We oh. don't – we live in Virginia. We oh, live in Arlington, okay. Virginia. Okay. Which – in the original D.C. was part of D.C., but now is like we live in the state of Virginia in Arlington, so right over the water. So um, we live really close to the Pentagon. Like if you are on Google Maps and looking at the Pentagon, you could probably see our house somewhere on that. So that's like it just to orient people. Then, But also we are a 10-minute drive from the White House, which always feels fun. So that's how for people that aren't here, for people that aren't from the area at all, so there's DMV. D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Okay. And so you, if you go to Ikea, you're in Maryland. If you go to, you know, it's yeah, all yeah, these yeah, like yeah. three it's little so places close. that are all clumped together with sort of D.C. as the central hub. But yes, for all intents and purposes, for everybody outside of the area, yes, we moved to the D.C. area. And love now, it. Now, were you Florida born and raised? Was, yeah. Born in St. Petersburg, Florida. So I did like 41 years in Florida with a few years where we moved to uh, Seattle to the, um, oh, just for funsies. Uh, I went to Kentucky for grad school, but all in, I think I spent four years outside of Florida and the rest of it was all around the fl- Florida area. Do you like the DC area? Like, oh, or yeah. is it culture shock for you? Uh, bothish. Um, so the choice to come up here was not a job choice. I happened to work for an organization that was here. Yeah. And still do, but they, it, 
that only served to introduce me to the area. And we were like, I love it up here. And, um, and like, there's a huge Ethiopian population where mm. we live. Actually, the largest Ethiopian population outside of Ethiopia is here where I'm sitting. It's in our, it's in this city. That's awesome. Um, and our oldest daughter was born in Ethiopia and we were just like, man, we just That's want a amazing. place that looks more like our family, all of our family, not just like, oh, we're moving for Eve. It's not that kind of thing at all. Mm -hmm. It was more just like we, for the four of us, want something different. And mm -hmm. we wanted to be closer to a city. We wanted to be in like authentic diversity, which does not exist where we were at in Florida. That's not a commentary on all of Florida, but where we were at, it was like real white. Um, mm -hmm. and we just thought, you know what? We want more for ourselves. We want more for this area. Um, mm -hmm. and so it was time. So we were up here and we love it and it's great. We just really, really like it. We've been up here for over a year and it's been just a great move, but it was weird moving. It's like breaking up with someone and mm -hmm. not having a reason why, like, right. You're just like, I don't know. It's just we're just moving because we want to, and people are yeah. like offended by that. Right. What's the reason? And like, I wanted to say, oh, it's because of work. It's really not. I was remote. I was remote for seven years. I'm still remote. I've never yeah. really worked anywhere up outside of, you know, I'm always remote. <laughs> you know, when I, they say, yeah. like, oh, is it for Eve? I'm like, no, Eve is happy. Everybody was happy. We yeah. just wanted something different. And so, and so we moved, which was kind of a crazy one. Eve's I think that's crazy. awesome. I think that's really, really awesome that you guys were able to, because I feel like sometimes, don't you feel like we just become like victims of our life circumstances? Like we're like, well, we wish we could live yeah. in blah, but we can't. And it's right. like, maybe you can. Yeah, maybe you can. And, but it's also a privilege, right? Because totally. we are in a situation where the four of us knew we could be self-sustaining for a while and not have to have, you know, people around us to help. We have the money to live here. It's uh, like, we're not like, it's just expensive. And so we were able to like figure mm -hmm. out how to eke our way into a house here. Like it, it is a privilege that I don't take lightly, mm -hmm. but, um, kind of, we just felt, you ever feel those times I'm stealing this idea from someone else. So forgive me, but like you feel the ice melt a little bit and you mm -hmm. just feel like I can make a move, whatever that is. Like mm -hmm. this is kind of the time to quit a job or this is the time to start a new project. But so we'd felt like really like the ice was like, solid for a long time and then mm -hmm. there was just sort of a circumstance where we were like are we are we gonna move are we mm -hmm. gonna do this this is the time before kids get middle school and high school like where do we want to spend the next decade and mm. and so we felt the ice fall and here we are i love that i love mm. that that's awesome so listen why don't you just kind of like introduce yourself to everybody oh like tell okay. us like where do you work i mean i know we've been talking for like forever but just mm -hmm. like what do you do like you we know you have children yes so that's primary. So I am married to Brienne. We've been married for 17-ish years. She is working right over there in Love the other office. We all work from home. Um, so Brienne, two daughters, Eve and Lucy, they are 11 and 10. They are fantastic. Um, you can hear their voice at the beginning of every podcast I do. It's the doing cutest best thing. We can. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so I podcast a bunch, doing the best we can with Eddie Koffeltz. I put my own name in it, though I feel a little bit self-conscious about saying it when I say it. But podcast, it's sort of like a memoir-y type podcast, mm -hmm. kind of niche. If you don't know me, you may not understand the show, but it is what it is, and I like doing it. Um, and I've done a bunch of podcasting with any of Downs and people you mentioned and relevant and new activists and stuff. I work at an organization called Bread for the World. Mm -hmm. uh, and I work as their, uh, it's a creative director. It's a, got another different kind of like internal name, but it's a mm -hmm. creative director there. Uh, and we work to, uh, that organization is a Christian organization that works to essentially 
lobby, it is a nonpartisan lobby uh, in D.C. for anything that helps feed people. So any mm. programs that help feed people. And so I get to be kind of their creative voice of that and love getting to do it. So that's like the – and I have a cat, a cat named Waffles, who I love, love a that. lot. Who I would be remiss not to make that part of my interest. You have to mention. You know what's crazy is I'm actually Tell allergic me. to cats. Oh. But not deathly allergic, like minorly allergic. But this pregnancy, my allergies have gone into overdrive and my sister has a cat. And I used to always be able to go over there and like no, it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I come home now and I'm dying. Yeah. What is with pregnancy? I don't know. It's terrible. Like, <laughs> like, I, know that, I know that's a broad thing, but like, I don't understand how all of the tubes and everything connect inside of a body. And I like really don't understand this. Yes. But, but like, what, what, how is there a correlation between your allergies getting worse and what you're feeding and keeping alive? Like, it, I don't understand. I agree with you so much. Like, I cannot even tell you how many things I'll bring up to my doctor. Like, this has been going on. She's like, mm, yeah, it's so normal. Yeah. This happened. Yeah, it's normal. I'm like, I don't, how? what? Like you said, like, what do allergies have to do with pregnancy? I have no idea, but apparently yeah. something. I'm losing, you can lose hair sometimes. You can, you yes. can, calcium and stuff. Like, it's just. Your some nails of the core. change, your skin yeah. changes. It's a crazy thing to me. It's wild. It's it's nuts. It really is nuts. So like, and I've I've been very open about this. This pregnancy has been very humbling for me. Not, and I don't. I mean, look, everybody has pride, of course, but I don't really like think of myself as some like arrogant person. It's not like my first two pregnancies. I was like, I'm amazing. I'm so awesome. But like, mm-hmm. I think I just thought like, yeah, like I'm having a really normal yeah. pregnancy and it's healthy and I've been able to like work out through it and like mostly eat normally and like it's been fine. This one, I'm yeah, like, no. I walk up the stairs and I'm like doubled over. My husband's like, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm just not like, in the traditional sense, but yeah, yeah, I think I'll make it. <laughs> right. Like, I'm just like, everything about this one, like, I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. I feel for all the, the women that have been like, I had a really hard pregnancy. And I always used to be like, hmm, I, I guess I can't really relate. Now I'm like, I relate. Well, there's also this thing where they think that, okay, if you've had two, like you get a lot of attention for the first one. How are you doing? Okay. Yes. Number two is like, wow, because I think the, there's a huge leap between being a parent of one child and then having a second child. And I think parents know like, oh, this is going to be bananas. Yes. But the third kid, I think people think like, oh, the third one's just on autopilot. The, the older two take care of the third one or like you've done this twice before. 100%. And like, that could not be less true. You I are know. suffering. You are are not okay. Um, And it is so funny with like society. My friend has four kids. She said when she was, she was like, you know, when you're pregnant with your first, people are just like overjoyed for you. And then for Mm -hmm. your second, they're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so cute too. Third, they're like, really? You're going to have another one? She said by her fourth, people were like offended. Like she would be like, we're pregnant. And they were like, ugh. Yeah. (laughs) They were rude. You've lost all the goodwill. It's like, (laughs) no, I... I expect you to show up for my fourth wedding. If that's what happens, <laughs> exactly. that's what's going to happen. I'm I'm one and done. But like you should, there. This is a thing that will always be exciting. A human being being brought into the world is always just your normal, average, everyday, complete, it's, and utter miracle. So it's true. She said that her sister was like, "Hey, listen, if you keep popping them out, I'm picking my favorite one, and that's the one I'm giving Christmas presents to. Like, I can't keep Gosh. doing this." <laughs> I just love it's All so right, you, funny. Are you from you're from like a bunch of kids though, right? Like there's four. So there was four of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Okay, so that I, feels normal. 
But the thing that's funny to me about that is that, and I I say this to my youngest sister Caroline's face all the time, so this is not yeah. offensive. Yeah. I always say the fourth child put us over the edge. We were like, mm-hmm. we had it together, and then the fourth one came, and it became chaotic. Like yeah. it just I, then I I as a child felt like this is chaos. This is chaotic yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. There was there was the tensile strength had been tested. Like that was it. Your family broke after. Three. Absolutely. Like as a ten year old, I felt like four is too many children. Like I was just like, I love, and now like I'm very close with her. I love her to death. I'm so happy she's in this world. But like I felt as a child, she pushed us over the edge. (laughs) It's not a commentary on her. It's a commentary on just the number of humans existing in a certain place at a certain time. It's too many people in a car. You guys were at five. I assume mom and dad were both a part of all of this. Yes. There were five. Six was too much. Six Six was was a different car. Exactly. It was, it was too much. It was just, I was, I was like, there's too many voices. I can't do this. It's, I can't, it's too, too much. much. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so you're at bread for the world before yes. you were at IJM. Yes. Which if people don't know what that is, international justice mission, episode yep. six of this podcast, we talk all about it with the beloved Richard Lee, which we'll get to I love him. Love him, hate go, him, love go. him. Yeah, right yeah. Here, all of it. we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> so you can go listen to episodes. I think it's six. I'm pretty sure I looked it up and it was six, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before that, you were a pastor. <laughs> I was, yeah, like way before. Pastor for like a couple, yeah, like I that was done in 2014. But yeah, right before that, I was a pastor. Do you like forget that that's part of your story kind of? No, it's actually the opposite. It's proportionally to the amount of time it has been in my life. Mm-hmm. It holds a ton of weight, yet it was a blip. It was four years. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. four years. I was at IJM for seven years. So I've been at Bread for a year. I'll probably be there for many more years. Like, right. it's such a big part of my life that was so like, when I look at it, I had no kids. I was young, mm-hmm. but it still carries. It still carries a ton of weight, and it's one of those jobs that you're never not that, and it never doesn't come up. Yes, you know, like in writing, it's come up more than anything else. It's like as if you say, like, I used to be a doctor. You're like, what? You used to be a doctor and now you're not. Like people just don't like it is it seems to be fascinating sometimes to me. And sometimes people have interest in like, oh, you aren't a pastor. So there's like a a why to that. And so there's always that. So anyhow, that was yeah. So uh, yes, I used to be a pastor. That's the short answer. A hundred percent. I mean, so my husband was a pastor for like I want to say six years. So yeah. is it seven? Uh, let's say six. Yeah. Whatever. More than five, less than ten. Yeah. So he, for, in our life, so we've been married for like almost 10 years. That does take up like the biggest amount of space. You know what I mean? But he is not a pastor anymore. And you're so right though. It's like such a thing. Like, oh, you were a pastor and you're not. So is there trauma? Like what's the story? Because people always assume too, like, like I, it was a hard church, but I just left it like a job. Like Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't, I wasn't excommunicated. I wasn't kicked <laughs> out. I didn't have some sort of like failing that caused it, but it is a very fascinating thing. That is so true though. That is like oh, the yeah. number one thing I feel like that we have to say when we're like, Scott's not a pastor anymore. No, he didn't have an affair. I feel like you have to say those two sentences together. Right. Because most of the world thinks that, well, one, if, if yeah, that that's what happened. Or two, like when you're a pastor, you're a pastor for ever. You think of your parish priest, right? He's yes. just there and it turns into an old man and that's it. And he lives on the, you know, he just exists in this room for you on Sunday. And you're yes. like, no, it is also a job. They're totally. also dealing with 401ks. They're also just quitting. Like, There's an yes. HR 
department in your church that it's very much work. It's just a job. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent. So that's actually how we know Richard, Richard Lee. So basically he was the campus pastor at a church. He was leaving to go to IJM. My husband stepped in in his role. And so that's how, that's how we know Richard. So we've been friends with him for, I guess, however, seven or eight years. Yes. And so there's one time though, that I'm literally, I will never forget it. I'm riding in the car with my husband Mm -hmm. and I guess one or two of our kids, I don't know. And I'm listening to relevant and you're on there and you're talking and chatting and you're like, yeah. (laughs) So for Valentine's Day this year, I spent it with my friend, Richard Lee. I spit out my coffee. I was like, what? He's talking about our Richard Lee. That's our Richard. I was like, yeah. because IJM, how many Richard Lees are there in IJM? It's got to no, be it. No. <laughs> so yeah. then, of course, I'm like furiously texting Richard. And I was like, the fact that you withheld this information from me is offensive. Like, I was like, how did you not tell me that you're friends with Eddie Koffeltz? I was like, okay. I'm a big fan. I'm and so I, offended. I, it is hard for me to express how much joy that gives me. Not in the sense of like, oh, cool. You, you knew who I was and you were listening to a podcast. But the the degree to which that probably irks Richard um, <laughs> because he wants that. he wants this more than I want it. Like he wants all, he wants a, re, he wants to be interviewed and do a whole resume of podcasts uh, you've been on. He wants it so bad and I, I don't care. And he, <laughs> and so it makes me so happy because I'm sure he was just rolling his eyes. Um, but also that's the kind of friendship we have is uh, that I know yes. he's listening to this right now and just yep. laughing and going, I hate you. Why yes. would you say this on a podcast and it's because I love him so much but yes there, there were years there so my birthday and Valentine's Day are two days apart and it also coincided with there was this retreat that we would always do for IJM mm-hmm. so I would inevitably spend a majority of those years I would spend my birthday and Valentine's Day with my <laughs> other spouse which was Richard Lee who I love so much and he'll and be at I our house that. next week sleeping oh, in the guest bedroom really? oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh I'll send that's you. so nice I we'll, love it. We'll selfie text you because he is just a sweet, sweet friend and a good person. And still at IJM and making a, a massive difference. Like he's just an incredibly, yeah, he's a, he's a special person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Richard is so funny. Yeah. I mean, like he cracks me up and yeah, he's doing amazing work. But yeah, yeah. I always say, it's like I say, Richard Lee, I love him. I hate him because yeah, he's, yeah. he's so snarky. And, oh, but yeah. you got to throw it right back. You've got to. You fight or don't. But, and you're both New Jerseyans. Exactly. I don't think that's what it's called. Different accents. He has no accent, but you're both like. You're right. He doesn't have an accent. Yeah. How do you know? How do I, what's, is there a, like a particular, like you got to be closer to the Philadelphia part to have the accent? Like, cause I feel like there's two types of New Jersey. There's like Martha Stewart, New Jersey, who like you just don't, there's no accent. And then there's like the Sopranos part of New Jersey. Yes. Okay. So literally Sopranos was filmed in the town where I went to high school. So like I am the Sopranos. Hello. So it's like North Jersey is very like the Jersey accent influenced by like, it's very Italian. Like, you know, South Jersey, it's actually a great deal of farmland, which people don't like realize, you know what I mean? It really is like two different States. It's very different cultures. Yes. Okay. So you're North Jersey. So we're North Jersey, even though recently my husband and I did move like to West Jersey. So we actually are like closer to Pennsylvania, but it's still North. So people here are still like North Jerseyans really identify themselves with how far they are from New York City. That's the thing people say. It's always like we're in blah, 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 about an hour outside of the city. The city. No one's going to say New York City. New York City. Yes. Okay. It's just the city. 
but is it that thing like that you differentiate yourself because you don't really like New York or because it's just one of the main cities in the planet and you might, and you've just succumbed to like, okay, everybody wants to know where we're at. That I, well, okay. I feel like, okay, people have mixed feelings because a lot of Jersey people commute to the city every day. You know what right. I mean? So like, hence they live in New Jersey. So they have like yeah. a love hate with it. Cause they're like, I flipping hate my commute, but thankful that I can get there and do the job that I do or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Right. South Jersey people are not commuting to the city. I mean, I don't want to speak for all of them, but that's a trek to that's do that. Right. You know they're what not. I mean? But I feel like people love, hate New York City, right? Because pe- like people out here are like, oh, yeah, we love that we can like take our kids to like the Christmas Spectacular with the Rockettes. And that's like not a big – like right. you just go. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it's 45 yeah. minutes and you park and you go and then you come home. Like it's not a big deal. Like so we yeah. love that. But people are also like, oh, I hate the city. Uh, you know what I mean? Like so <laughs> right. it's kind of like No, depends. I get it. it, it yeah, um, having been a former Orlando r- resident, that was the love-hate with Disney. Is you're like, yes. oh, I got to live on the other side. I got to be far away from Disney. And then you're like, but also I do have season tickets and I do get <laughs> to visit everyone's vacation spot as often as I want. And I do think it's magical. So I but, think that's like the exact yeah. perfect comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it felt. But then you get away from it. And you're like, ugh, so many tourists. Uh, and you're like, yeah, yes. you're welcome. Because you get to live next to a vacation. You live it, next to New York. Sorry, it's the greatest city on earth. It really is so true. Like, people are yeah. like, ugh, New York. And it's like, yeah, right. but every single year you grew up getting to go see the tree at Rockefeller Center. Do you know, like, right. there are people that will never get to do that. You know what right. I mean? But you got to just, like, one day your parents were like, okay, today's the day. We're going to go see the tree. And you right. put on your heavy coat and you drove in and you went and then you came home. Like, That's, it's convenient. I'm- that's living in DC. I mean, today, today, I know this is going to date the podcast. So I don't know when it's releasing, but like today, after this interview, we're getting dressed up. We got in a raffle. We're going to the White House lawn <gasps> to watch the Christmas tree lighting. That's so fun. Because, because, but it was on like our local Facebook, yeah, buy nothing group. Like, and they're like, hey, we're going to wait tickets. Like, that's just a normal thing. We're just going to hop on a train, go to the White House, see a Christmas tree get lit. Awesome. Leave. And you're like, okay, I can be snobby about the commute, but also I'll be home before dinner. I will be in my jammies. Yes. Right? Like, tonight at a regular time. This doesn't require you to, like, buy a plane ticket. You know what I mean? It's like you're just driving over there. Live and dream of this. This is just, this is today. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's amazing. Yes. So... All right, so a few weeks ago, it was like a Monday. I don't know, whatever. That doesn't even matter. I don't know why I said that. Richard texted me, and mm-hmm. he said, have you been listening to Eddie's new podcast yet, Doing the Best We Can? And I was like, oh, I haven't really gotten a chance to listen to it yet. I and love he goes, that he listen. does that. Because he'll never admit that he's listening to it. And he's like, <laughs> like, that's the kind of love, right? Like, he'll just make fun of me for starting a podcast. He'll say, why do you need to do this? Why do you need to... Do you need more podcast time? Why are you oh so needy? My goodness. But then Why he texts you? somebody something loving, right? Like exactly. that. Exactly. And like sends it to you. Okay. So Richly Blessed, by the way, that was the name of his old blog was Richly Blessed. I didn't even know that. Which is why I call him Richly Blessed only and always. So I just I'm flipped, but now I'm just going that. for it. Yeah, Richly Blessed. So Richly Blessed texts you. I'm so Richly Blessed texted me and he said, have you listened? No, I haven't listened yet. He said, listen to today's episode or whatever, the most recent episode you're, I think that you'll really like it. And I was like, oh, great. I'll listen this morning. I'm actually dropping off my younger one at preschool and I'm going to go to Target. I was like, I'll listen while I'm walking around in Target. And he was like, um, you might cry, just FYI. And I was like, oh, that would be just a perfect stereotype. Like a white girl walking around Target, pregnant with her Starbucks (laughs) crying. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is perfect. Like, how basic can you be? 
Are you wearing a sweater and leggings? Uh, yes, leggings? absolutely. Yeah, Probably like Ugg boots or like fake Ugg boots. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Like for, for those of us on a budget. Like Right, right, right. You're not doing the, the real ones. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you are. And you're crying. Because, of course, that's the big surprise of this podcast is that it's like every other podcast you've mentioned. I'm like, if you liked me in Relevant, you won't like this podcast. <laughs> right? Because it's so sad. Sometimes. It's different. Okay. It is different, but it's still you. No, it's still you. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So it's like, it. Uh, yeah, it's a different vibe than like Relevant, but it's still you. It's very, yeah. I loved it. So I listened. I got Misty. <laughs> I emailed you immediately. And I was just like. Loved this. Would you ever want to have a chat on my podcast? Assuming I was never going to hear back because I was just like, whatever. He probably gets a thousand emails like people because I whatever. I email people all the time. They don't answer me. Mm -hmm. So you answered me right away. We set this up and I was just delighted beyond. Well, um, okay. So I have a few responses. One, you didn't quite cry. So I'm going to try a little harder. You, so you it wasn't that good. Yeah, Misty. I'm not well, going know. for Misty. Yeah, exactly. I'm going, I'm going for revelation. I'm going with you have to dip out into a dressing room and <laughs> realize some things about yourself. I'm really <laughs> trying to, But okay, we'll take Misty. Uh, two, uh, very nice of you, too. And I mean, I'm, I feel fortunate. Like, you know from podcasting that this is the coolest part of it, right? Yes. Is that we create something alone in a room with no one around. In fact, no one can be around because we need it to be quiet. Yeah. And then we create data. It's just it's nothing. And then we upload this data to a cloud. And then someone somewhere in a target, like, hears it and starts to be, have some reaction, a, a laugh. Mm -hmm. they, they dislike it. They're moved by it. They cry. They're just misty because you couldn't, you couldn't get it there. Like, right? Like. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it was good, but it wasn't that good, you know. That, yeah, it wasn't crazy. Like, yeah. Like, what a magical thing you get to do. But then also this becomes dimensional, right? So, like, I love getting emails from people. I am terrible at replying because I just have X number of hours in a day. Of course. But, like, you realize, like, this is a real – um, uh, this is just, like, an analog thing. This isn't mm -hmm. digital. This is, like, real. And uh, what a yes. privilege to get to be able to just, like, plug in a microphone and do that. So, And that you emailed was very nice. And it's like, here we are. Like, and a I real agree person with I know. you. I agree with you so much. I think that sometimes people feel like – whatever, like she doesn't want me or he doesn't want me to like email or text after every episode and say what moved me. But like we, we do like, it's so nice to hear from someone to say mm -hmm. like, this moved me or this was yeah. funny or whatever, because it is, it's very like vulnerable to like put something out that you're like, I feel like this was good. Yeah, I hope other no. people think it was good. You know what I mean? Like, well, it, I mean, and not to like, yes, and you too much, but like this particular podcast, because I know the episode you're going to get to, yes, um, is like very, um, like vulnerable, and so I'm writing things that I haven't talked about. Like it's not voyeuristic for voyeuristic sake, but it's sort of like this is what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. This is what I've been processing, and it's really hard stuff. And so, like, I haven't done a podcast and talked about it mm -hmm. because it's just like I know where you're going, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I want to. Yeah. Like I want to because we I thought about it, but like it's a hard thing to re-engage with some of these like deeply personal moments of your life in a way that's not in the confines of like I write this, I control this, I release it because like when I but then when you hear back from people and they're resonating with it, it's flattering but it's also like I can't 
I can't talk to you about it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I did all I could do with this topic and now I have to walk away because you get like vulnerability fatigue. Um, yes. I'm sure I'll grow a muscle for that. But in the early days of this show, it does feel a little bit like, oh, boy, are we about to talk about the food and eating and my grandma's sausage pastries? <laughs> like, <I don't, laughs> why are we going to do this? And I appreciate <laughs> that you are willing to go there for this episode. So the episode I'm talking about, like yep. it's called Food and Love Confusion. And that's why Richard sent it to me because... On this podcast early on, I did an episode where I shared about like my battle with an eating disorder, which, you know, I didn't really feel like I didn't start this podcast like I'm going to do this. But I had a conversation with my husband one night and he was like, listen, like you're asking guests to come on your podcast and share their story. Like, do you want to share yours? And I at first I was like, no, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like and then after time, I was like. Yeah, maybe that would be good. And it was crazy because the response from people was huge. Not to be like, people tell me it was so great. Not that, but people responding like, whoa, I had no idea. Me too. I feel the same way. I didn't know that other people struggled like this. I didn't know other people felt like that, like all the things. And so we ended up kind of doing like, almost like a mini series, but we didn't like call it that, but it was like, after I shared, then we had like an intuitive eating dietitian on and like a body image counselor on. And then we even had like a nutritionist that specializes in kids, like how to talk to kids about food. And like, we did a lot of those and people really connected with them. Hence Richard being like, you're really going to connect with Hmm. Eddie's episode. Hmm. So first of all, thank you for releasing that episode and talking about Hmm. it. And I know that that's for you, I'm going to let you tell your own story, but it's really unusual to hear like a guy, especially share about like food, body stuff. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> like I've been, I've gotten that response yeah. a few times in a few different ways. And I'm like, I guess so. But it didn't, that didn't register as I was writing it. I was, I don't think of myself. Uh, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think of myself as a guy. It's not like that, but I don't, that that wasn't. I was just writing my story. Like I was just I, like, here's a thing that happened. Uh, yeah. it's time. There's all this other things that happened that just I am like, nope, not there yet. Don't want to mm-hmm. do that. Both good and bad, right? It's not just all like totally. waiting to release these deep secrets of my life. But but that one just like percolated and I'm like, yeah, it's time to write about that. But I never thought of it through the lens of like gender. But yeah. I, I kind of love that actually. I mean, like I think that's great that you weren't like I'm gonna be like a trailblazer and be a Ugh. man. That like you're just kind of like this is who I am. This is my story. So look, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Like let's start with a few years ago. I want to say it was like 2017 ish. Mm-hmm. You went to a weight loss counselor. Yeah. So I mean, my whole the the, the, the brief is like my whole life has just been um, a struggle inside of me for with with weight like gaining weight, losing weight, like white knuckling, dieting. And it's just been like my whole life of just like something isn't uh, tracking with this. Something's not, something's not right, but I don't even, I don't even know that I could say it wasn't right. But by 2017, I mean, at this point I'm 37. So I've been like, I'm, I'm in life, you know, like I've been sort of in a lot of counseling since around 25 ish, like on and off. And so you can see like there's onion layers peeling and shutting away. And finally I got to like something about food isn't right. <coughs> Pardon me, I coughed. Um, and so I could get to, yeah, so I finally get to a, um, I, I go to a, a counselor in the area and, you know, go in expecting one thing. <laughs> yes. Because that's like what weight counseling is. Like go is. in expecting a thing or here's a step. And it was a completely different situation. 
Yeah. So. That was how it was for me. When I first went to counseling yeah. about like eating stuff, I thought she was going to help me lose weight. 100%. That's what I thought it was too. That's actually what I was going for. That's what I thought. Yeah. Legitimately. So, like she was like, what are your goals? And I was like, to lose 15 pounds. Like, and right. she was like, okay. So anyway, let's talk about your childhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And you're like, oh, what? Yeah. No. Yeah, no. You like, I don't know what your office looked like, but I realized something was fishy because I went into the office and it was like warm and inviting. And I yes. thought it would be more like scales around and like blood pressure monitors. And yes, I thought it was going to be more like a weight loss clinic. And it was just, I don't know what I was thinking because I could have Googled what it looked like. There's probably a Google image of the inside of the place, but you're, yeah, totally that. Yeah. But, but the exact same thing. It was, I'm going in, what are your goals? It's generally to be more healthy, to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And, we immediately went into other stuff. <laughs> like, like we never actually went there ever, which was crazy. So how did she dig in? Like what she was like, so tell me about blah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so the first layer that she started to work with was the fact that I was generally freaking out. Um, I, I was like, she's like, okay, so why are you here? And I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And I'm afraid that like my children are going to know me. And I'm afraid that like I'm going to, so I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack and I'm going to have this and that and cholesterol and yeah. diabetes. And I'm just like, Rah, right. Part of it is like, it takes that energy almost to get to counseling, right? Like mm-hmm. the worst day of it is usually, or the worst moment of it is like right before you walk into counseling. Cause that's 100%. as far as the whole thing can go without needing help. Like, I, so I was like just spilling, you know, and I probably spilled a lot and cried, <laughs> you know, and just was like, and she could just, I think her first thing for the first couple of weeks was just kind of like, kind of what is all of this energy from? And so there were some real practical things like, have you had a heart attack? Have you? And and the answer was no, there was no mm-hmm. physical manifestation of anything outside of the fact that any BMI chart, any, anything just looking at me was just like, you know, this guy is not doing his body a service. Uh, and so, I mean, I didn't really talk about this in the the newsletter or podcast, but like years later, we're talking like only a year and a half, two years ago, I started to get like, I'm like, I got on Zoloft, got on some stuff for anxiety mm-hmm. because the noise in my head was so loud, mm-hmm. just generally, like the, the, just the, there was a general constant hum of just fear and anxiety that a little bit of medicine and a little bit of counseling turned that down. So mm-hmm. she first week's like pinned that she didn't mention medication or anything like that, but it was just like anxiety management. So it was very practical things. Like she wanted to, she knew that I had all this energy. And so she started to give me things to like harness that energy, just to basically point me in a direction, point me towards something that I could obsess into. Mm-hmm. Um, so go make a doctor's appointment, get some blood work done. I'm like, okay. Cause that's a thing. I'm like, I can Google and you're I can do that. I can yep. do this. And look up insurance. You can do like, you can do something instead of just spiraling in your brain. It's Action like external. steps. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so that was the first six weeks, not six weeks, three weeks was just turning that down. And then she said, so what's your earliest memory of like feeling confused about food? And then I shared the story that I shared, which then broke up at that point. Like the noise in my head had turned down enough that it kind of broke open the the actual thing that was going on. Mm. Would you tell us that story? I know yeah. it's very like. Oh no, it's fine. So basically, the story is, and I forget how I wrote it exactly. So my details may be a little bit more concise than the newsletter, but generally, the idea is like I'm a kid, 
and I'm at my house that I grew up in. Family's out back. Uh, birthday's in February, but family's out back because it's Florida, so it's still lovely outside. So everybody's out back by the pool hanging out, uh, and I go inside because there's going to be like dinner in a little bit, and I just start kind of surveying the territory and see that see this like. And it was my birthday. So it was all my like favorite things out. Mm-hmm. And my family is very food centered. So Mine hey, we're coming, we're coming up tomorrow. Oh, cool. We'll make this. Like that's mm-hmm. the first thing. Or what we're are you bringing? Up, it's all that. It's like it's a and then when the food's done, it's like kind of a time of preparation for the next food. And that's all the conversation. Is. Yes. And so some of that is love, right? Like a lot of cultures, like that's beautiful. Like mm-hmm. But in my particular house, in my particular culture, there was something, I don't know. Obsessive? Yeah. Mine was, yeah. for sure. And not, it, was, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't yeah. just like, we love food. It was sort of like, we don't know how else to love except for food. And that yes. was kind of a, a nuanced. So anyhow, uh, so of course, my birthday is all about like food and we have. And so I go inside, I survey the scene, and I just remember reaching up and just – my grandma had brought these little sausage pastries that I still love. Like I've still mm-hmm. made them a few times, even since she passed away. Like they're then they're simple and good, but they like hit me. You know, some people are like sweet people and savory mm-hmm. people and whatever. Like whatever this is gets right into it's the perfect like, food. It's right. It's it is my perfect drug. And so, but I remember reaching up and I'm because I'm little, so mm-hmm. I reach up, I open the lid of the crock pot, which is glass, mm-hmm. put it down on the side quietly. I unfold the like foil that's loading on the inside. And I just remember being surgical and like um it was like I was it was like I was it was like when I was trying to like sneak cigarettes out of the house when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Like I was just being so precise and gentle. And you're like, as a kid, what in me is saying it's not okay? This is my food, my thing. Why yes. am I? Because I just there was something in it that wasn't right. So I go in, reach in, and I go in and then I just ate them with I think I said in the in the newsletter, like it was like violent. It was like it was like an eating of just like um, it's binging. Like if yeah. it's binging, like pure and simple. Um, not pure and simple, but that's what it was. So yeah. it's just like the stuffing and the eating, and then I'm like closing it up, folding it up, putting the lid back on. You know, kids always think they're sneakier than they are, but I think mm-hmm. no one sees me. But then we go up. Finally, the family comes inside and we open it up and somebody says something like, oh, wow, I'm already down a bunch of – somebody really already got into these sausage balls. And my mom just gives me like a glance that wasn't mean, mm-hmm. but she knew and I knew she knew. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like white hot shame. Like mm-hmm. shame that's beyond – like if anybody's ever been in any sort of addiction moment, that like – that moment of shame that isn't accompanied by realization, right? Like – Yes. So it was like shame and I just remember feeling – very, very ashamed. And so that pattern of behavior manifested itself in different ways mm-hmm. and and still does. Like on a junky day, on a hard day, like it still does. Like that mm-hmm. that thing, that sneaking, of, that, that feeling of it, that would, would – so that's what I – that was the story that I shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. And so the counselor kind of like heard that and began to extrapolate kind of meaning from from that and kind of helped me with that. It's so crazy because it's like sad to think about like you as a little kid. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like most kids don't think like that or feel like that. But like mm-hmm. I remember thinking like that and feeling like that. I remember – I actually just said this to my parents the other day. I remember from like a kind of young age mm-hmm. if I would like have like a binge 
type situation, you know, where Mm. I was like rapidly eating, like, and it was clearly coming from like an emotional place. Like, and like for me, like my binging was always tied to like anxiety, you know, like Mm -hmm. you were saying, I would like find myself like praying that God would forgive me that I ate all of that. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, which is like so screwed up. Like, you know, then it's like a whole like Christianity thing, like tied Mm. into it. You know what I mean? Like, and then it was like, when I was older, I was like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that God, obviously, yeah, the whole gluttony thing, but you get my point. Like, it's like, it's not like it's a sin to eat a Snickers. Like, you know what I mean? But like, Mm, I felt like it was sinful. Like it was bad. I shouldn't be doing this, which makes you want to do it more and is what makes it become out of control. Right. uh, Right. And then that kind of reveals like the layer under the layer, which neither one of us are really talking about. Mm -hmm. But like, Kids aren't born with that, right? How in the world did you – I'm not actually asking this question. Yeah. I'm, I'm posing this question with like the the thing we aren't answering. And the thing I'm not answering about myself is like why feel that shame? Mm-hmm. Why? 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 Like where did that come from? Like I know there's like original sin. I know there's like shame. I realize like Garden of Eden stuff. But that's not – that's not – there's something in it. There's something that creates that. Totally. And so the creation of like understanding over time, like what created that shame in me was mm-hmm. the actually like food equaled love. But like in you, and again, I'm not asking, but it's just like that little girl isn't, that little girl is supposed to just like eat a Snickers and not care. Yes. But there was something baked into you at some point mm-hmm. that made that reflex into shame and that made you in a way like seek that out to fill something that was never that foods to fill. It's and that's not when about it gets real sticky. It's, oh no, it's, it's, it was the drug available. Totally. Totally. So when did you, like, how did your counselor make the connection about like food and love and all of that? Mm, yeah. So, so she, in that kind of counseling session, it's funny cause I like recounted as if it was like a full set. I think this all happened you know those counseling moments where yes. space gets like stretched and pulled. I think this happened in a minute and a half. Right, <laughs> right. You know, I still it's just like. Yep. Like, oh, totally. So, Times like stand yeah, still, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're like, wait um, a minute. Yeah. So basically, it was like, oh well, tell me. She said, you know, tell me about your grandma because her grandma made these things because it wasn't actually about the food tasting good, though I liked it. But my grandmother is still the most like growing up, at least the most loving person. She just like accepted me and liked me and just really delighted in me. And I always felt Mm. that. I felt extremely safe with her. And even when other storms were raging in my family, like she was just constant and sweet and Mm. read a book and lovely and just, just gentle, gentle, gentle. And I always felt exactly who I could. I just felt very safe with her. I just Mm -hmm. felt very, very safe. And so the counselor then very quietly because, you know, the counselor, Sandy. Well, I guess that's her real name. I don't remember what I called her. And her, her name's Sandy. Big it's mom. fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, um, you don't have to edit that or believe it. I don't care. But so Sandy uh, kind of makes the connection. She's like, it feels like basically that I was trying to receive that love as mm-hmm. much as I could. And when given the opportunity to choose the speed at which I received love, I, I, I binged it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get enough love. Mm-hmm. And, that was like, oh, that was when, have you ever seen that 
movie Get Out when he starts like, I think it's Get Out when he's like swirling the tea and he just starts to like fall into the chair. Yes. That's what it felt like. I was like, I have no idea from when she said that. I don't have any memory of like how I got home. Yeah. Like it's just like, <laughs> just fall into it. Um, yeah. But it was like, I was desperate for a kind of love that I wasn't feeling. Mm-hmm. And her food, food felt like that. And when I look at things in my life ever that I've ever had a problem with, it has nothing to do with the food. It has to do with like who made the food. What does the food taste like? What does the food remind you of? Like there is a – it's not like, oh, I'm an M&M's guy. It's, it's not that. It's that tastes like that, which my mom used to make, and that relationship was strained. And so when I am able to control the intake of the loving part of that relationship, I can't like there's always for me everybody's story is different right mm-hmm. for me that's why when i went finally went to oa like there was kind of a separating line between was it actually an addictage an addiction where it's just sort of this like monster that roars no matter what or was it more of a like psychological thing to i was going to say fix but it's never fixed mm-hmm. to to grapple with for my life and so you felt like it, and by OA, sorry, you mean Overeaters Anonymous. Mm-hmm, yeah. My counselor suggested that, I think, because she was determining, like, is this more in the addictive realm yeah. or in the counseling realm? And sometimes they sit on top of each other. Mm-hmm. But addiction is just, like, its own very special, like, it's a it's a illness. It's a, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. people in addictive AA kind of groups and anonymous groups call it, like, an illness. It is just looked at as like you caught it, <laughs> you got it. The food thing wasn't that, but mm-hmm. it manifested itself like that. And so she invited me to go to OA just to check it out. Also, she was still just like get getting my energy out. Yeah. But also she knew that I would find a group of people that in some way normalized because I didn't think I knew anybody like this. And mm-hmm. in reality, we are everybody, right? Mm-hmm. You you talk about this on a podcast, you realize everybody. Mm-hmm. has some version of this in their life in a way mm-hmm. that they're resonating with. And a lot of people have your exact same story. Like yeah. even you just reflecting it back to me, I'm like, I know that little girl. Yeah. I know her eating a Snickers. I know that girl. Like I, I am, I am her. Like I, and mm-hmm. you are me and we're, it, you know, it, it, it's different. We have different families. I'm not like yeah. laying our experiences on top of each other, but it's like, yeah, you're just not alone. Totally. And the thing that's crazy, and I'm not trying to say like, oh, like a food addiction type issue is worse than drugs or I'm not saying it's worse, but like the weird thing about food is if you have like food issues, whatever, that's probably like a bad term, but Mm -hmm. you have to always eat. Oh, you know, but like if you struggle with drugs and alcohol, like you can cut those things out of your life. You cannot go to a bar, not, you know, you know, whatever. But yeah. with food will always be here. Oh, yes. I mean, any of those meetings that aren't OA, like you go to an AA meeting, I mean, their number one thing is just don't drink. Like that's yes. the point. Don't drink. You can't not eat. No. You can't not eat. And it's brutal. And also, and I, the president, I had the president of OA on that week on the podcast to talk about it, which yeah. was very generous of her to come on because she had no business being here, but she responded to the email. So I was glad. Yeah. But she's like, the hard part of it too is like you wear it. Sometimes you wear it. So like you're clearly like the world knows you have a weight issue, but also sometimes you don't wear it because some people yes. who are like binging are just real thin. But I, I tend to wear my, mm-hmm. wear it. Like 
It's a pretty decent barometer of where I'm at is like, you know, how messy is my desk and how, mm. how healthy or not healthy is my body. Like those two things are generally like, those are the things I can't hide from. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was interesting to bring up. Like, it's just such a hard thing because you both always have to eat. And also like, you just, you can't hide a lot of it. And it's no. like, or you can hide it and people don't know. It's just a brutal, brutal, it's- brutal. Any addiction is just incredibly brutal and each one has its own set of really difficult realities and consequences and but man the people that walk in and like the people in that OA group even though they weren't my people fully were just so loving and mm-hmm. funny like it was just like a more chill atmosphere and kind and hopeful I've never experienced more hope than there. It's like working at IJM. Sorry, I'm just like, a, you're dealing with people that are ending slavery. I've yeah. never worked with more hopeful, happy people yeah. because they know that if we just shoulder down and keep doing this, like we're going to see kids leave brothels. Like it's mm. actually really hopeful. And so it's it's wild to see and to live in that kind of weird juxtaposition. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. So I knew I was going to do this interview with you. Obviously, we've had this scheduled for a few weeks. Yeah. I was like, you know, prepping, whatever. But like by yesterday evening, I like yeah. knew, I felt confident, like, what you know what I mean? And yeah. then I'm scrolling Instagram and I follow this girl called the binge nutritionist or something like mm-hmm. that. I'll put it in the notes. Mm-hmm. And she happened to have a post yesterday where she said like binge eating stems from two main reasons, trauma and or restriction. Oof. But usually it's some combination. And I was like, oh, so weird. Cause we're like literally talking about that tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've heard you say, and again, like you do not have to go here yeah, if you don't yeah, want yeah, to. Yeah. But I heard you mention in a different episode of Doing the Best We Can that you grew up in an emotionally unsafe home. And then you yeah. and your wife kind of talked about that in that one episode where you, like she was one. saying, yeah. yeah, in the first one. And she was like, I had a really like secure, normal, like first few years. Like, and I yeah. don't struggle necessarily like emotionally in that way, you know, like whatever you guys like had a whole banter about it. And so I was just kind of like wondering, how do you feel like that kind of goes together? You know what I mean? Uh, like how, like marriage wise. Yeah. Like how, or like your emotionally unstable childhood. Yeah. Links to the food stuff, links to your marriage, links to the things. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a big (laughs) Big, right? And again, like, you don't have to go there. No, no, I know, I know. And I, it's hard because there's some of it I can't go there. Like, right? Yes. When I say it was emotionally unsafe, like, that's probably as much as I can and should say because it's like my story intersects with other people's. Yeah. Like, people that are like alive that I'm trying to like figure out a relationship with. And so yeah. that's the hard thing of the memoir is like, some people are just way more brave at setting bridges on fire. I, I just, I don't, I'm not doing, that and I don't know and I don't have clarity and I also cannot write or speak out of like anger or frustration, anger or frustration that still may be there because I will be vengeful because I'm, there's a power differential here, right? Mm -hmm. I've got a much bigger microphone and a much bigger voice and a much bigger platform by which to demolish other Mm -hmm. people. And I, I gotta be, I, I have to be careful with that, but I will say, yeah, like more salient, like to your question is like, um, I, I th- think that the most important thing that I've ever experienced is like any relationship, whether it be marriage or with kids or with friends, like the most important thing that I have ever been able to do to help with those is be like doggedly focused on my own 
growth, my own personal growth, right? Like when I get my junk in order, mm-hmm. I end up, things end up working out better in those, in those arenas. So to me, I don't see it as like, how does, you know, like what, what Brianne shared, like she didn't grow up in a family that wasn't unsafe. And I did. To me, it's not a measure of like, how do those things crash together and exist? It's more of like, how do I bring my very best self? So for me, that looks like a junk ton of counseling, mm-hmm. a lot of work, doing the work, taking my pills, mm-hmm. getting back into running, doing the things that I kn- know that I need to do. Like mm-hmm. what health looks like for me. It's my cocktail. Yeah. Like what it looks like for me, like I need to be doing those things so that I'm bringing that. And so, and then everybody else who's in relationship with me is bringing their thing mm-hmm. and we're not crashing into each other and having to use the relationship to detangle those things. Because mm. that becomes very difficult. Yes. Because it's, that's not fair to put on anyone. Like in parenting, like I don't need my kids to help me work out the things that I may have seen as a child growing up that now I don't want to repeat, but I'm repeating. And so now I've got a 10-year-old saying, please don't raise your voice. That's not their job. Mm-hmm. My job is to do the work to bring in the best thing I can to them. So that's kind of where I, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's sort of where I I come with it as, it's a very rightly selfish approach. Like mm-hmm. I'm got to think about me mm-hmm. and take care of me so that I can be right, not right, but I, I can be in, better relationship with them and bring to them a more just a healthier version by which to then crash into because even no matter what any relationship you're going to still crash into each other and have to Mm. figure out some stuff totally but no i'm I'm with you a thousand percent i'm the same it's like the counseling you know for me like being in counseling for years i was meeting with a dietitian like an intuitive eating dietitian you know and zoloft is my friend you know all of the things and it's like you have to do those things to keep yourself. But, you know, like, look, I've been very public about my walk through the eating disorder. And, like, I do consider myself – okay, how do I want to say this? I want to – I consider myself, like, healed from the food part in the sense mm-hmm. that I do not diet anymore. I mm-hmm. don't count my calories. I don't restrict myself. I don't punish myself. If I – you know, feel like I overeat one night, the next day, I don't punish myself by not letting myself eat. You know what I mean? Or things like that. Like I am good about that. I don't buy diet books. I don't follow diet accounts, like things like that. You know what I mean? So I'm healed from like that part of it. But to say that I'm walking in freedom would be a lie. Like even just like this pregnancy has like messed with my head so much. Like it's just like, It's something I know I'll always battle, like the body stuff and then it's the food stuff with the body stuff and then it's how you feel about it. It's so much. Oh, yeah. Because your body's not your own right now. It is Mm -hmm. changing. You can't do stuff. I mean, we were talking about it at the beginning. Like there's just weird stuff that happens. You're allergic Mm -hmm. to stuff. You can't make it up the stairs. Like Yes. You're you, this thing with which you have had a very delicate relationship with your whole life and have gotten into some homeostasis with is now being blown up. Yes. And you truly can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You just, and that's all, that's not to say like once the, you know, like the baby comes on ideally February 12th, but like when the baby comes, <laughs> in a perfect right? World. In a perfect world, it would be eight days early, um, February 12th, right? Like, um, you, it's still not like you just like spring back to 
yes. you, you, and let's lay on top of it. I don't know how old you are, but like we're aging. Yes. Like, like I am 42, be 43 real soon, uh, ideally on the day that you're delivering a child. Exactly. Um, right. Like I can't do stuff. My metabolism is changing like this. I am having to respond to a thing that I have a very delicate relationship with and it is changing daily. Yes. Like I just am sore. My knee just hurts. Mm -hmm. So I may not be able to run. I have a goal of how much I want to run next year. Mm -hmm. There's a chance I don't get through two miles of it and because yeah. I, because I'm done because mm -hmm. I just don't have a, so I'm not making this about me, but I'm saying like, yeah. it is just a real hard thing because you, you just, in anybody's life, but then it, add a pregnancy into that, mm -hmm. your balance is really flummoxed with, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's such a delicate thing. I don't like something that was part of my recovery is like, I don't have a scale. I don't weigh myself. I don't know how much I weigh, you know, all those things. Yeah. And when I go to the doctor, this has been the hardest thing, like to go to the doctor and not look when they weigh me and whatever. Yeah. Well, la like two weeks ago or something. They weighed me and the girl said it, which usually oof, they don't. Oof. And I, it, I was thrown off. That's hard. For a full 48 hours. Like, you know what I mean? Like, That's it was hard. like, I felt like I was in a cloud. And then I, then I beat myself up. Then I shamed myself for like, why am I not past this? Why am I still like, why do I get my knees taken out from under me? Just because someone said my weight, who freaking cares? Like I'm pregnant. Like it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And then it's like, it's this battle. You know what I mean? It like it sets you back. Yeah, did you – well, I'll ask the question. You can punch it away. But, yeah. like, when you heard the number, were you, like, were you at all – sometimes with stuff that's addictive-y, I, I like the feeling. Like, I like mm -hmm. I like getting the drug even if it's on accident mm -hmm. a little bit. Was there any part of it that was, like, ooh, that was good? Or was it truly, like, derailing for you? Okay, so it was truly derailing. Yeah. But – the, with the good thing, like I felt myself being like, okay, okay, well, at least I know. And so now I could make sure that next time I'll make sure the number doesn't go up. Now I will look next time and I'll make sure that the number hasn't gone up. You know what I mean? And I had to really like stop myself and be like, no, you're not doing this because first of all, you're supposed to gain weight. You're pregnant. But second of all, you're not going to do this. Like you can't go on the roller coaster. You have to get off the crazy train. You know what I mean? But Isn't the bargaining the worst? It's the bargaining. It's horrible. People don't – people that have not experienced it don't – that's the – it's the internal dialogue. It's the amount of CPU power you have spent. Yes. To, to have the conversation with yourself. It's that so is, exhausting. It's exhausting and it's a lot and it's dangerous as hell. Mm -hmm. Right, like, because you don't know where that bargaining is going to go. And clearly you've done the work because you've got some sort of, like, framework and you've got some sort of support system and you've got, you know, you've shared, you've counseling, mm -hmm. like, you've got the pillars. But, man, if you, if you aren't strong in those moments, in those moments, like, you you don't know when they're going to happen. Mm -hmm. you, you, like, you can just bargain your way into, you're just right there. You're only one day away from it. And that's the hardest 100%. part. 100%. Yeah. Totally. And then and then you got to go figure out lunch today, right? Then you got to go figure out dinner. Then you got to watch your yes. body demolish. Then you got to have a delivery. And that's going to be a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Major surgery. Even if it's just like a regular old delivery, it's still a major, totally. major medical surgery. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so true. It's crazy. It's wild. I'm curious. What's your Enneagram number? Uh, four. 
Okay. 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 What does that mean about me? What is it? I don't know. So I'm a one. And so I feel like my oneness plays into my food stuff so much because it's like, I'm like a perfectionist. I feel like there's a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And so like for me, I felt like the right thing in life is to be thin. That's the right thing. You're supposed to be thin. You know what I mean? And so if I'm not thin, I'm wrong. And so like I'm always, my whole life is about like working to be good, whatever that means, you know, in quotes, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your fourness like plays in? It must. I have never considered it though. I, uh, it must though. I mean, I think on the surface level, like the amount that I am in my head, uh, in some good ways, like mm-hmm. creative stuff, like totally. the fun. But the amount that I'm in there would 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 say that like I was definitely gonna like a good addiction has a lot of a lot of fertile ground in there. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I've never thought about the the four intersection with that. Oof. Well, I wonder hmm. I get fours are like very like in touch with their emotions, right? I'm not like that good at the Enneagram. Yeah, generally. And neither am I. I kind of like heard it and I was like into it for a while. And then I'm like, I can't, I cannot do more self-help. I was <laughs> like, when it, when it was having its like heyday, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do more. I'm already paying someone an Aston Martin's worth of money to like help me out. It's like, so true. I, I don't want more. <laughs> it's so true. Like if you're in counseling, you're like, all right, look, love the Enneagram, but like, I'm, try- I'm like really trying to oh, be yeah. very, very, very self-aware already. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like I love the Enneagram. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. But I'm not good with the whole like in in stress, you're like this. In health, you're like this. And like you share oh. – qu- like the, I'm, I'm not good at – that's complicated. It's, it's so deeply helpful for people. But when I am in counseling specifically, yes. I I am like whatever I'm watching on TV, it's got to be just trash, not, or just or, or just like yes, junk. I need junk food. Pardon, salient to our conversation. Totally, but like, I but I can't do Mad Men. Don't make me no. deeply think about. I just need just give me fluffy, give me silly, give me SNL, give me that because absolutely. I absolutely in that hour I have I have given all I have given all that I could possibly do until we have to meet again for that week, exactly. which of course. And then you have relationships that you need to maintain in your own house that are going to require you to not be a zombie. <laughs> it's <laughs> so true. Yeah. Enneagram, the height of Enneagram came during a deep counseling session and I was season and I was like, nah, okay, I, I get it. I understand what I am as a four, but I'm, uh, it's not, it, I haven't written about it. It's not any part of it. Totally. <laughs> what is your like junk TV of choice? Ooh. Well, first of all, I a little bit reject the idea of junk TV because I love TV so much Me too. that if somebody's like, when people are like, "Oh, what's your junk music?" and they back in the day, I was like, "I listen to Britney Spears." I'm like, "She's awesome. Why would we?" Great music. Her? Hello. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, junk TV. I will say that I watch uh, everything that has anything like any documentary about entertainment. Mm. I have watched it, which isn't really junk, but I'm like, oh my gosh, if it's Bruce Springsteen talking about something for hours or if it's uh, talking about how an edition of Vogue, September issue of Vogue is made, like shows about, like I like documentaries about other things. So Mm -hmm. documentaries about sports. I like watching documentaries about sports way more than I like watching sports. Like I like sports, but I would way- Because you like the story behind. Give me that. Give me, and then give me the little voyeuristic nuggets. Who, who did they date back in the day? I want the just the give yes. me the nineties goss. <laughs> did you watch the 
the girlfriend yes. that didn't exist or whatever it is. Like, no, uh, tell me it. I'm going to send it to you. It's is it scary? No, no, no. It's on Netflix, okay. but it's about okay. a football player. So you'll yeah. like oh. it because it's oh, about no, no, a no. Oh yeah, I watched it. It's it's What's it, called? it was that it was unbroken on something. It was like a whole series, of yeah, like five or six. Oh yeah, I watched them all. That one was okay. That whole series though, I gotta watch unbroken, more of the unbothered. Yeah, what un- was it? Unsalt? No. It was a sports. It I'll was kind it of up. a thirty for thirty esque documentary that Netflix yeah. did. Even if you're not into it, that series, like into one of the particular topics, like the sailing one, I'm like, I don't want to watch this. So good. I gotta watch but more that of one. Them. Oh, yeah, that one about – so it was this guy that was a Notre Dame quarterback, and he basically gets catfished. Yes. Catfished, like, hard by – Wild. And was like – it was like a recent story. I forget his name. Yeah, he was oh, – Monte he was Hawaii. Monte, Ma, uh, Tua. Uh, Tao. Te, Monte Teo. Tao. I don't know. I'm that seems right. Now. That was the <laughs> It's something that flew, flowed like that. Oh, but that was a delicious one. That was just like, I, was I like, mean, for, yes, it's tragic. There's real elements. There's human stuff in it. But also I'm like, mm, just give me this delicious junk. I love it. <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I love that stuff. And I agree with yeah. you so much. Like if you're doing a hard emotional work, you need to just like when you're having your entertainment, like it's funny that you mentioned Mad Men. Mm-hmm. I hated Mad Men. And I know mm-hmm. now it's, I don't know why I watched the whole thing. It was when I was like first starting counseling. And I, for some reason, someone was like, you should watch Mad Men. You would love it. And for some reason, I I hated it the whole way and I couldn't stop. And yeah. I was so, I was like, this is torture. This is emotional torture. And it's like oh, looking, yeah. honestly, like I wonder if like now that I'm like in a different place in my life, if I could watch it and it wouldn't torture me as badly. But it's like, I oh. was tortured by it and I still watched it, which is so freaking weird. Well, I'm in the middle of counseling right now, and I can barely write this newsletter podcast, yeah. just to be totally honest. like, But I started it a little into it, and yeah. now I'm like, I can barely get out because I, I'm done. I'm tapped out. But when I wasn't in counseling, I was just like, do-do-do-do-do, feelings and eating and whatever. Like, it was no big deal. But I get so, it. Not to bring it back to me, but I like get it. You got it. But I think that's like the helpful lesson, right? Is yeah. You, we, or we do not have an infinite amount of like self-help processing tolerance yes and i've got to have some left over to maintain relationships that i matter about and also i need to guard some of it like mm-hmm. not returning emails from people that email for about the show is like it's not being rude it is preservation yes i cannot i cannot engage with you about your eating disorder even though i know it's incredibly important because yes. i have i have done all that i can do like i don't have an assistant so I'm not making excuses for it, no. but I find like I find that with like texts as well. Like, yeah. I don't have to apologize because it's been a week. I could not. I needed to turn off. I needed to not be available. I ne- I needed to be alone. Mm-hmm. I needed, and so part of that is the hard balance of like what's selfish, what is loving to people, but at the same time, what is self preservation? Because yes, you, you just can't watch Mad Men right now. It's too deep. I love that. It's I love too that. deep. So. It sounds so dumb, but we always end with what's your favorite snack right now? But it's so funny because I like now I'm starting to hate this question because I literally just did an interview the other day and -hmm. the whole thing was about grief. And then I'm like, so what's your favorite snack right now? And I was like, I hate myself. And now with this interview, it seems kind of funny because it's like we've been talking about like food and blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, but what's your favorite snack? But But it is also funny because like when I wrote about the 
whole sausage pastry thing, like I was a breath away. And in fact, I had written it out for putting the recipe for it in the <laughs> newsletter because I just thought it would be funny. And like, I wanted you to. I was like, I right, want a sausage, sausage pastry. Right, right. It's so funny, but we can't. So I get it. I also think when I when I knew this question was coming and when I've heard other episodes, it does bring me a little bit of uh, un- like joy, but like Michael Scott humor. Absolutely. Where it's just like, oh, this shouldn't be happening. But, no, for real. But who doesn't love a snack? And also, I'm so grateful you gave me a heads up and that I knew it was coming because yes. I do have an answer for you that I think is important. Okay, good. Um, listen, this is going to be very on brand for me, but I need you to know that just because it's very on brand doesn't mean it's also not an incredible snack. Does okay. this make sense? Yes. So Ethiopian food is incredible. Okay. And have you ever had Ethiopian food? Is Ethiopian food when it's like the breadish thing on the table and they put mm-hmm. it on it and you roll it up? I'm Bingo. being – is that that's no. what it is? That bread is called injera. Okay. And so the way you eat Ethiopian food is it's sort of like this – it's more of like a sourdough-ish fermented yeah. bread, but it's flat like a pancake, yep. way flat. And you rip a piece of it off and you kind of use it to grab the f- the other foods, so the meat of the veggies, and then you eat the whole thing. You, you No yes. forks or whatever. So it's both the way of eating, but also this injera bread is made from a very specific kind of flour that's only found in Ethiopia or used to only be found. Now you mm-hmm. can get it. Um Anyhow, the, the bread is called injera, and it is a staple. It is like – So good. It is like rice. It's just like everywhere, all meals, there's always injera. A company in Maryland has taken injera and baked it and made little chips out of it, crisps. Ooh. Injera crisps. And part of me was a little bit like, okay, do I like it just because I'm like in the Ethiopian food mm-hmm. and culture? Objectively, these are problematically good, which makes them a great snack. Love um, that. Yes, I will send you a link. You can order them. They're, they might be available. They might be available around you okay, in Jersey. Yeah. They're mostly like a Northeast thing, but you can order them like the sampler box. It is magnifique. Oh, we'll and they're put just the like these the perfect. Notes. And they do like spicy and rosemary and cinnamon sugar. Ooh. Oh. Love it so much. I need yes. you to order a sampler pack of this. I will send you the link to the sampler pack. Please I do. Will. You need to order this and you need to just let it happen. But the spicy one, I need to forewarn you, is not a joke. Okay. It's not American spicy. It's Ethiopian spicy. Oh my gosh. Which will yeah. blow your face off. So like so I'll go I into just, labor. Right. So I would hold off till mid-February before trying this. Perfect. It's be On, the 11th, I On the 11th. On the 11th. I want you to go hard. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, my goodness. Eddie, thank you so much. You are a busy guy. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. I know it's vulnerable, and this was just awesome. This was a joy. This was just like a lovely conversation that happened to be recorded for other people. I'm glad I got to meet you, and I hope that at some point we get to be like actual in-person people because our children would all enjoy each other. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. My girls would be obsessed. Oh, they would love it. All the little girls, just they would love it. Braiding hair, chatting. Oh, my gosh, yes shows do you get bored with the shows oh my gosh it's they so come in and doing nine hours ballet thing oh my gosh and it's funny because my husband like pays attention and like knows the plot like so sometimes my kids will be like and da-da-da. and i'm like what is that and he's yeah. like it's the uncle from Blue- from bluey hello and i'm like right. i don't know i don't pay attention like I, yeah. i'm not following the plot of these shows that make me crazy I but i know I feel I am bored by you. I am sometimes just sitting, not by you, but by like the, yes. the, the kid performances and stuff. Yes. And, and when they all get together. Yes. So when our, when our four or maybe five children are all mm-hmm. in the same room together, yep. inevitably there is some sort of thing that happens and it's like cute for a minute and then you're like, oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going on half an hour of freestyle, whatever you're doing. 
on Thanksgiving, my daughter like literally had everybody like learn a song and perform. And it's like, you know, like you're, it's very cute. But then after some time, you're like, enough, 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 enough. Enough. I don't want to watch you do this again. Like part of the win of this is that you're, you're playing on your own. I don't, I don't want to, I have to co-play with you all the time. And then that's when I realized maybe I need some alone time. And maybe, yes. not, maybe there's something. Anhow, I, I hope we get to meet break. in person sometime. Thanks uh, for letting me, me do too. this. Love Thanks. it. Thank you so you much. You should Eddie. come on my tiny show sometime and we can talk about stuff. Oh my gosh. I would section. love it. It would be fun. I would absolutely love it. Like the time when you called that lady, that was my, yeah. my favorite thing. Oh Listeners, you have to go listen to this episode. I, what number was it? Early, I don't know. It was early on, but you yeah. called like you had arranged with her. Like, listen, yeah. like the podcast, I do it in like a live format, so like I, I don't yeah. edit it. Like, I'm gonna call you go. at this time. You call and it goes to her voicemail, oh, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, "Hi, I thought we had prearranged this time. Yeah, I'm gonna call you again." <laughs> and my politeness, I didn't know how to handle it because I'm so I was like, "Hi, I'm Eddie Koffeltz." I thought it was <laughs> yeah. weird. I'm like. I'm like, I don't expect you to know me, but you knew I was calling. Right, like, like, this is a surprise, so I feel awkward. What do we do? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. We would love Uh, it. Thanks for this. I'm glad we got to hang out. Me too. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.